2: The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to go to glow.fm savagepremium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. You know, many of you love sweet and sour food. You go with Chinese restaurants, sweet and sour pork, sweet and sour this. I tend to like sour, not sweet. But America likes sweet and sour. So today's show on the Michael Savage podcast is a sour and sweet show. We begin with the sour, meaning the news, the horrible news of the day. War is terrible. War is painful. We begin with this Putin playing possum and uh, other news stories, such as Russia could win World War Three in Europe with the MP nuclear attack, according to one of the world's great experts, Peter Pry. And then we go into the the general meat of the dish for today, which is my birthday extravaganza. Birthday extravaganza. Because this week, my birthday is on the 31st. So we put together some great pieces from the past that you're going to love. A birthday wish from Graham Hancock from 2007. My broadcast from 9-11-01. Many people requested that. Shadows on the Wall, talking about politics and Plato, 2006. My discussion of Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger from 2009. Yours truly answering calls as Senator Bernie Sanders. Definition of a red diaper doper baby from 2007. Mama Savage on longevity and the meanest mothers you knew from a show years ago on radio. But we're going to begin first with, I guess, the sour before we go to those sweet pieces. And the first piece is going to be is Putin playing... Possum. You listen to that and tell me what you think. Because the news, as you know, is distorted. It's all one way. And I don't trust the news. If you trust the people who lied to you about COVID, and now you believe everything they're saying to you about the war between Russia and Ukraine, I pity you. We'll talk about uh, the Battle of Austerlitz, Dr. Pry, who he is, the torture of Russian troops, and other things. And then we'll go to the sweet stuff right here on the Michael Savage Podcast. Welcome to the Michael Savage podcast. This is a special edition. Why do I say special edition? Everyone says special edition. I received an email over the last few days from a friend of mine who's a physicist who works in very interesting areas, in some cases with the Defense Department. I don't really know exactly his connections, but I've known him for many years. His name is Dr. Jack Sarfati, and he quotes a Dr. Pry who I looked into, who's very interesting, and I'll tell you more about him later, but the important thing is not who sent this to me, but the idea itself, and today's podcast is called, Is Putin Playing Possum? And according to the piece I got, I'm just going to read it to you. It says, Dr. Price says, U.S. military intelligence, the White House, the CIA, and others are in a dysfunctional state of optimistic denial while Putin and his men are in a dysfunctional state of paranoia armed with modern tactical nukes. 2,000 to 8,000 against NATO's 200. Let me say that again. According to this article or this email, Putin has two to 8,000 nukes. NATO has 200. And the article, which is very alarming, goes on to say Putin will use nukes on the battlefield. People say, well, wait a minute. Wouldn't the radiation blow onto Russia? This email says his nukes can be tuned to localize small explosions with little radioactive fallout. Then he goes on to say NATO has very few mainline battle tanks. Putin has 20,000. Let me repeat that. You haven't seen many tanks thus far. You've seen tanks and trucks blown up, Russian tanks and trucks blown up, and you've been cheering, even though it's the death of other human beings. It doesn't matter To, to most people. They want to see Russians dead. Putin has 20,000 tanks, which this email says he's holding in reserve. What he put out were old line tanks as sacrifices. And it goes on. It says Putin is using Napoleon's austerlitz strategy in Ukraine by baiting NATO to enter Ukraine. Note that Putin has not deployed his new tanks. He is deliberately sacrificing old tanks in Ukraine to make senile Biden and our woke JCS Secretary of Defense think he is losing. I don't even know what JCS means Ukraine has only 70 fighter planes Putin is holding back his real Air Force. Now, let's pause on that. We've all been asking where's Putin's Air Force? The idiots in the media said Putin's Air Force is not functional remember that idiocy I thought he was holding back his real Air Force because had he wanted to he could have devastated Ukraine in the first 24 hours This goes on alarmingly says Putin has 1 million soldiers and only sent 175,000 into Ukraine. It says Putin is using Ukraine as a testing ground like Hitler did in the Spanish Civil War. Putin is deliberately battle-hardening his troops in Ukraine and is intentionally giving our guys the impression the Russian army is screwing up on logistics. He says Napoleon played the same trick. Putin knows Biden is stupid and will take his bait. It goes on, and I'm quoting now, Putin has ICBMs on his subs, which are not in the Atlantic and Pacific. Let me repeat that. These ICBMs are on his subs, which are not in the Atlantic and Pacific, but in the seas around Russia, which have undersea cables and are in touch directly with Putin's admirals, unlike ours. I don't know where he's getting this information. He then goes on to say, we do not have ICBMs on our subs. They cannot reach Moscow. Putin's main weapon is EMP. He can fry all of NATO from a height of 70 kilometers or so. He can fry all of the USA from a height of 300 kilometers. Even North Korea may have two orbiting EMP space weapons now threaten U.S. homeland. These EMP weapons are over 100,000 volts per meter. Our military-hardened devices are only to 50,000 volts per meter. Very nice. God. It goes on alarmingly and says Putin thinks he can win a nuclear war. Putin has deep underground bunkers for his elite. And Moscow subways have powerful blast doors that will enable ordinary people inside them to survive. Obama hollowed out our nuclear force. Most of our weapons are over 30 years old and will not even work most likely. Putin has a modern nuclear force on a tactical battlefield scale that he will not hesitate to use. He says that America, under the incompetent lunatic left, is now a helpless sitting duck. We are not protected, and Putin knows it. He then concludes by saying, again, understand what Napoleon did at Austerlitz. Putin is following Napoleon's strategy. This is part one of this special podcast, Is Putin Playing Possum? On the Michael Savage podcast. It's alarming. I don't know how true it is, but I wouldn't share it with you if I didn't think it was worth your consideration. What you have just heard is only the beginning of today's podcast is Putin Playing Possum. It's based upon the work of Dr. Pry, sent to me by a friend of mine, Dr. Jack Sarfati. In the following, more complete version on the podcast, you will learn who Dr. Pry is and why he's so important. And you will also learn about the Battle of Austerlitz, which is also very important for this discussion. Right here on the Michael Savage podcast. Thanks for listening.
1: Michael Savage, a host like no other.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
2: So let's begin with this. And that is the fact that there's a thing called the Battle of Austerlitz. And this is from Wikipedia, which is fairly well known. And the reason I'm mentioning it is because it's germane to what is going on in Ukraine right now. The Battle of the Three Emperors was one of the most important uh, engagements of the Napoleonic Wars, which is why we have a picture of Napoleon on today's podcast. It's considered the greatest victory achieved by Napoleon when the Army of France defeated a much larger Russian and Austrian army led by Emperor Alexander I And Holy Roman Emperor Francis II. This battle I'm referring to occurred near the town of Austerlitz in the Austrian Empire, modern day uh, Slavkov in the Czech Republic. And what happened was, after eliminating the Austrian army during the UM campaign, French forces under Napoleon seized Vienna in November of 1805. The Austrians avoided further conflict until the arrival of the Russians bolstered Allied numbers. Napoleon sent his army north in pursuit of the Allies, but then he did something strange. He ordered his forces to retreat so he could feign or make believe that he had a great weakness. He was desperate to lure the Allies into battle. So Napoleon gave every indication in the days preceding the engagement that the French Army was in a pitiful state. He even abandoned the dominant Pratskin Heights near Austerlitz to show he was weak. He deployed the French army below these heights and deliberately weakened his right flank, which enticed the Allies to launch a major assault there in the hopes of rolling up the whole French line. A forced march from Vienna by Marshal Davout and his 3rd Corps plugged the gap, left by Napoleon just in time. Meanwhile, the heavy Allied deployment against the French right flank weakened the Allied center on the Pratskin Heights, which was viciously attacked by by the 4th Corps of Marshal Sioux, S-O-U-L-T. So once the Allied center was demolished, the French swept through both enemy flanks and sent the Allies fleeing chaotically, capturing thousands of prisoners in the process. This disaster of the Allies significantly shook the faith of Emperor Francis in the British-led war effort. What happened soon thereafter was France and Austria agreed to an armistice immediately, and the Treaty of Pressburg followed on December 26th. Victory at Austerlitz permitted the creation of the Confederation of the Rhine, a collection of German states intended as a buffer zone between France and Central Europe. This confederation rendered the Holy Roman Empire virtually useless, so the latter collapsed in 1806 after Francis abdicated the imperial throne, keeping Francis I of Austria as his only official title. This Battle of Austerlitz was a military strategy of Napoleon, which led to one of his greatest victories that he ever achieved, by the way. And what I'm trying to say is that he gave indications that he was weak. He withdrew troops. It made it look like the uh, French army was falling apart. And this enticed his enemies to launch a major assault, and the enemies were then defeated. What am I getting at here by talking about the Battle of Austerlitz? I'm saying to you that maybe... Putin like Napoleon is playing possum this is the Michael Savage podcast much food for thought we've talked about is Putin playing possum the Battle of Austerlitz and now I want to tell you who Dr. Pry is it's very important you know who he is he is the executive director of the task force on national and homeland security he's an expert on EMP electromagnetic pulse weapons that's a very big story there's a lot more to Dr. Pry. You can look it up yourself. He's a genius. He still serves on the Congressional EMP Commission. Even though Congress has not looked into this for a long while, Dr. Pry is an expert on a nuclear EMP attack and what could happen to us. And I want you to pay close attention to what I'm about to tell you. Dr. Pry was an intelligence officer with the CIA and was responsible for analyzing Soviet and Russian nuclear strategy, their operational plans, their military doctrine, their threat perceptions, and in developing U.S. paradigms for strategic warning. There's a lot to be thought about here because we're only hearing part of the truth from the media, as you well know. Now, before we leave you today and go into the podcast itself which this is of course the podcast itself this is the sour part of the podcast not the sweet part which is coming up which is the birthday celebration the fun stuff I want to read you something from Dr. Peter Pry that I think you should know about it was written on February 17th 2022 and published in the Washington Times which is entitled Russia could win World War III in Europe with an EMP nuclear attack I think you should pay close attention to this and give it some thought before dismissing it as mere hyperbole and here is what he wrote in 1914 a single bullet fired into the chest of Archduke Ferdinand by a Serbian terrorist exploded into World War One the Austro-Hungarians mobilized their armies to punish Serbia Russia mobilized armies to defend their Serb little Slavic brother then Germany mobilized Then France then Britain and by 1918 there were 40 million casualties with 15 to 22 million dead. I'm trying to tell you something here. What's going on in Ukraine right now between Russia and Ukraine could lead to World War III, but it'll be worse. He goes on, that's my editorial. I'll read from Dr. Pry. He says, now President Biden's ill-conceived efforts to save Ukraine from Russian invasion could spark a much larger conflict, perhaps even nuclear World War III. And of course, the little comedian in Ukraine, who is not a hero of mine, I think he's a disaster for Ukrainians, incidentally. He's a front man for some other forces, which is not defending what Putin has done. But there should be peace discussed right now, and there isn't. So he goes on. He says, Russia's strategic interests in Ukraine in 2022 are far greater than were Russia's Russian strategic interests in Serbia in 1914. Did you hear that? Ukrainian entry into NATO, if official or de facto, russia perceives as an existential threat because then nato missiles air forces and armies advanced to eastern ukraine would be only 300 miles from moscow with an easy striking distance for a surprise attack on the russians ukrainian territory is traversed by russian petroleum pipelines that are a major source of moscow's revenue ukraine according to russian dictator vladimir putin is russia's slavic brother and as part of the former soviet union belongs in the new russian empire Remember, he's not saying he agrees with that. He is explaining to you how Putin sees it. I'll go on from Dr. Pry. Ukraine, if annexed by Russia, will enable Moscow to move its missiles, air forces, and armies into western Ukraine and Belarus along the entire eastern border of NATO member Poland, posing a steel spearhead that could knife through NATO to the English Channel, as the USSR threatened to do during the Cold War. Russia's strategic interests in Ukraine a combination of legitimate defensive concerns and illegitimate aggressive designs, he writes, far outweigh NATO's political will or military capability to defend Ukraine. The U.S. Defense Department and RAND war games show that Russia can overrun Ukraine and the frontline NATO states in Eastern Europe in 72 hours. RAND analysis finds a Russian invasion of NATO's Baltic states cannot be defeated even if the U.S. resorts to tactical nuclear weapons. Pay attention here. He writes, Russia has an overwhelming advantage in tactical nuclear weapons, an estimated 2,000 to 8,000 warheads versus 180 tactical U.S. warheads, all of which are based in Europe. You hear that? Two to 8,000 versus 180. He goes on, and he's an expert. He writes, moreover, Russian nuclear warheads are more technologically advanced, designed for ultra-low yields for use by land, sea, and air forces specialized effects like neutrons x-rays and electromagnetic pulse and so-called clean so they produce no radioactive fallout he says russian nuclear weapons are not only a deterrent but militarily practical for use on the battlefield pay close attention he writes that biden's strategy to deter russian invasion by massively arming ukraine is playing with nuclear fire moscow may use washington's arming of kiev as a pretext to invade ukraine and bordering nearby NATO states that are also supplying arms to isolate Ukraine and expand Russia's defensive frontiers, quote-unquote, defensive. Biden has sent a few thousand troops to supplement the 8,500 U.S. troops spread out along NATO's eastern border in packets. These are intended to deter invasion of NATO by the 120,000 Russian troops massed on Ukraine's border. First of all, those numbers are not correct anymore. Russian army now numbers over 1 million. He writes, the U.S. military presence is no practical defense of NATO. The U.S. and its NATO allies would be overwhelmed in a conventional war. U.S. forces deployed in Eastern Europe and on Ukraine's border are a tripwire to deter Russia from invading NATO by the threat of nuclear escalation. Yet nuclear escalation is Russia's strategic forte. He writes, Russia could win World War III in Europe with a single, single super EMP nuclear warhead. Detonated 70 kilometers high over NATO headquarters in Brussels. The EMP field would black out electric grids and paralyze NATO military forces from Poland to Britain, making a red carpet for a Russian invasion. U.S. troops and 30,000 civilians fleeing Ukraine would become POWs. Russian tanks could reach the English Channel in days. After an EMP attack, the U.S. discover it as no tactical nuclear weapons. Even if some delivery systems survived this EMP blast, It is doubtful any host European government would allow a tactical nuclear strike against Russia from its territory, fearing nuclear retaliation. Russia may be able to destroy NATO without World War III, and is already fracturing NATO with the Ukrainian crisis. Germany, European NATO strongman, is being lambasted for refusing to send arms to Ukraine, allegedly because of German dependence on Russian natural gas. However, he writes, maybe Berlin fears stoking war in Ukraine because during the last century, Berlin was on the losing side of two world wars. Maybe Germany remembers its destroyed cities, being raped and occupied by Russia, remembers its 5 to 7 million dead. NATO has never been more fragile militarily and psychologically. The closer NATO moves toward a losing war with Russia, the alliance will increasingly fracture toward disintegration. He ends by saying, Biden should end the Ukrainian crisis by promising NATO will not include Ukraine or expand eastward. By the way, that's all that Putin asked from the beginning. He should try making Russia a strategic partner or neutral in the new Cold War with China. I don't know how to emphasize that over and over again. All that Biden has done is drive Russia and China together. He says Biden should catch up with Russian nuclear weapon capabilities, which have been decimated incidentally. He concludes by saying this. The bear, friend or foe, respects only strength. This is by Dr. Peter Pry. He knows what he is talking about. Do you? I'm Michael Savage. Thanks for listening. These are terrible times. And we will soon move on to the sweet part of today's show. I promised you sour and sweet. You just heard the sour. We all need a breather, don't we? Well, here comes the sweetness. Thanks for listening.
0: Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
2: Welcome to the Michael Savage Podcast. A while back, we asked you for ideas about your favorite segments from the long, long history of the Savage Nation radio program and podcasts. And many of you sent us great ideas. What you're going to hear today is, is a compilation of wonderful, wonderful archival pieces selected just for you. They are of the most requested show parts from over the many years. We're going to start today's special birthday celebration show with a birthday wish from Graham Hancock from the year 2007.
3: This is Graham Hancock with a special birthday tribute to Michael Savage, our hero. I have visited some of the people that Michael Savage has talked about over the years for their comments Here is what they had to say on this auspicious occasion. First, a quick comment from uh, the Prime Minister of England, Tony Blair. Mr. Blair, it's Michael Savage's birthday, and I'm wondering... What do you think of Michael Savage's opinions on the war? In my view, it was entirely sensible. Yeah. Always to the point. Now we go to John McCain. John, Michael Savage is having a luau. Uh, of course, you know that at a luau, a pork is usually pork. the main
4: dish, so they heap it on.
5: What's really obscene about this? They loaded onto it, larded
4: onto it.
3: Yes, exactly.
4: Pork all over it. I like pork. It's really obscene. Well, I don't know. I.
3: Larded. We'll move on. Now we have Representative Charlie Rangel from New York. Some people like to think of Michael Savage as the Commander-in-Chief of the Savage Nations of America. The American people have spoken. Do you think he's wrong for taking that moniker? He is the Commander-in-Chief. Very well. Then what do you think he should serve at his barbecue? Pork or chicken? Chicken. Many people say pork. I understand you preferred chicken. Or is that what you really are? It's not a question of chicken. Pork. We think he's wrong. Preferred chicken. Chicken. Well, it was only a question. Let's move on now to Barack Obama. I understand that you were planning on sneaking in to Michael Savage's birthday luau. What do you have to say to that, sir? Just exactly what
6: was your strategy? As careful getting out as we were careless getting in. uh, And that we had some uh, obligations just to make sure that uh, we handled uh, an exit properly. I see.
3: So that you wouldn't be detected, eh? You wanted to spy on Savage. But I do have an important question. Pork, pork. Or
6: chicken for the Lua. The problem is, is uh, that in the face of uh, circumstances, chicken. I see.
3: Very politically correct, sir. Chicken. And speaking of politically correct, our last guest to comment on Michael Savage's birthday will be House Majority Leader Nancy Pelosi. Ms. Pelosi, what would you like to say to Michael Savage on this most auspicious of occasions?
7: I would extend a hand of friendship just to say to him... Calm down with the threats. Shocking! There's a new Congress in town. Of all the nerve! Take a deep breath. Really? That we each have our constitutional role, and we should respect that. Despicable. In terms of each other. Well, there you have it. A birthday
3: tribute to Michael Savage with comments from some of the people he has talked about over the years. Happy birthday Michael Savage. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. To you you wrote, wrote the, the political, political zoo. It was, it was a New York, York, York Times bestseller. bestseller. Happy birthday to you.
2: Next up is the most requested piece from my listeners, which is my broadcast from 91101 when the twin towers came down. States of America. The radical Muslim world has declared war on America. We are at war. We are at war. Attention, America. This is your Pearl Harbor. This is your Pearl Harbor. In the World Trade Center today, a World Trade Center that no longer exists, demolished by two hijacked airliners, taken over by radical Muslims. Ladies and gentlemen, you will never forget this day as long as you live. It is time for you to come out of your sleep. It is time for you to put your hats on forward. It is time for you to throw your pornography in a bonfire. It is time for you to turn off your sports. It is time for you to turn off your entertainment. You will not have a nation unless you awaken and stand up like a man. What can be done? I want to remind you that we are at war. We do not know the exact count of fatalities at the World Trade Center. As you well know, uh, radical Muslims hijacked these two planes. In fact, on the uh, web right now, Senator Orrin Hatch of the Intelligence Committee is reporting, we have intelligence that two connected to bin Laden set over private airwaves, we hit two targets. We hit two targets. Those two targets, of course, are the World Trade Center in New York City, no longer existent. I'm going to remind you that the United States went to war when Pearl Harbor was attacked, when 2,800 or 2,700 or 2,900 boys were killed by the Japanese. Ladies and gentlemen, what will it take for this country to close the borders, to reassert English as our language, to stop the flood of asylees from every garbage can in the world? This is the result of a weakened nation. Ladies and gentlemen, we are at war. What must be done? Where are Bush and Cheney? What emergency steps are you taking? Are you offended at Bush's absence? This is a day that will live in infamy, but I want to tell you this. Many of you are frightened in the false assumption that terrorism cannot be fought against. That is the wrong assumption, it is the wrong conclusion. That is what you're going to hear from the defeatists. Maybe you've dismissed me as a right-wing nut. when I've been telling you for years, close the borders. Where do you think the terrorists came from? How do you think they got into our country? You morons, I've been telling you that ultra-tolerance is killing us. Well, the day has come. This is your Pearl Harbor. You're going to live with it just as I am. Ladies and gentlemen, where is our president? I will tell you that I am appalled that we have not heard from Bush except for one mealy-mouthed speech this morning. I am shocked that he was forced to leave the nation's capital. I am disgusted that even Hillary Clinton was on the White House lawn giving a speech today, and nowhere could be found Bush or Cheney. And I voted for this man. Where is our leadership? Where have all the good men gone? This is what you get when you have a president who keeps saying, let's move on. By the way, the USS Cole was blown up a year ago. They're still investigating it. Maybe they should create a blue-ribbon commission and hire somebody to go investigate it for 10 years. I am telling you that this is a direct result of ultra-tolerance. This is a direct result of open borders. This is a direct result of a politically corrected society that is afraid to call what it is it is. Everybody knows who did this. Everybody knows who's behind this. Everybody knows what must be done. Where is Bush? Where is Cheney? What emergency steps are you taking? What emergency steps are you taking now that we are at war? Do you have any idea what is going on? Do you have any idea what has happened to your country? Do you know that your life will never be the same? Are you aware that your comfort level has changed forever? Do you comprende, amigo? We are at war. Close the borders. I've been trying to stop this. I've been telling you about it. I've been warning you about it. Where is the muscular reaction? Where are the men of America? Where is the leadership of America? Next, we're going to hear they are going to get counselors going out so you can get on your hands and knees and pray. They'll tell you what color ribbon to put on. Here's a great piece, in my opinion, from 2006. It's called Shadows on the Wall, talking about politics and Plato. Now, you thought you had an election. And in a way, you did, but you really didn't see the election. What you saw were the shadows on the wall. But you have to have read Plato to understand what I mean by the shadows on the wall. You didn't actually see what went on. You just saw the shadows on the wall. You didn't actually see the actors. In the days of ancient Rome, emperors such as Septimus Severus would give unlimited free wheat to the poor. He would stage costly circus games in order to pacify the populace with food and entertainment. They realized then that bread and circuses were a good way of avoiding popular unrest. Today, not much has changed, except that we have more bread and better circuses. Across the United States, patriotism is dead. American industry is being gutted by globalists. But there is no outcry. American culture is destroyed by socialists, but its citizens are asleep. America's sovereignty is challenged by China, Iran, North Korea, and Mexico. But don't ask the average American to respond. They're watching Paris Hilton on TV. They're stuffing their fat faces with junk food. Processed bread. Electronic pornography, America is fat, sated, and silent. It is asleep. As long as Americans have their cheap food, America will slumber. As long as the flow of pornography continues over the cable systems, through the satellite receivers and internet connections, America will continue its long sleep. When Thanksgiving comes around this year, Americans will bow their heads not to God, but to to tryptophan and football. Because whether it's Septimus Severus or George Bush or Nancy Pelosi, it doesn't really matter much. They all know that bread and circuses are the key to keeping you silent as America slowly slips into oblivion, becoming not a nation, but a trading partner. Now play some circus music, please, on the Savage Nation. Snap, snap. coming soon says Hillary plenty of health care extra extra Dems bring health care don't fear the terrorists they're moms and dads just like you I like this music I always loved circuses as a kid afraid of the freaks what can I say now they're running the show you all know that I could just play this music and go home. I'd be happy. What do I have here in the news? Let's see this. Oh, here's a nice story from the World Tribune. Thank you. They got the circus theme. You can knock it off. One of the biggest problems in radio is people that people have no, no sense of timing. Some guys, you turn on their show, they play music for mi- minutes. You don't even know the song they're playing. In their head, they think they're being clever like Billy Crystal at his best. You don't know what they're doing it for. I'm lucky. I was always good at entertainment. Entertainment. I always was. It's true I'm brilliant and very insightful and well-read and highly educated, but I'm also a good entertainer.
1: The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. One of the things that separate
2: the Savage Nation from others, in my opinion, is my understanding and inclusion of art and literature. So here for you is a discussion of J.D. Salinger's book catcher in the rye that i did in 2009 you know one of the books that i read when i was young was everyone read it the catcher in the rye it's still out there by jd salinger he doesn't give interviews basically he's like me no i'm joking i'm like him i don't blame but he lives in vermont i could never live there like in a place like that like in in a in a you know in a farmhouse First of all, everything's changed, number one, even the thought of getting away from it. You wind up living next to a crack, a crank uh, laboratory or a Mexican mafia drug farm. I mean, if you move, oh, I'm leaving, I'm leaving the area, it's terrible, I want to live in, uh, I'm going to buy 100 acres in, in, uh, in California, Utah. You wake up the next day, it's like a meth lab next to you, some guy without teeth, or they, 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 they're growing pot in the national forest and the, uh, the feds are afraid of them. They don't even go in there by black, they won't even use a, a black hawk to look for it. Because liable to show that the illegal immigrants are. So one of the books that everybody read was uh, The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. I have the picture. Remember the kid? Hold, remember Caulfield? That was such an important book in my era. But I understand it's still taught in college. The Catcher in the Rye. Because he won 1945, J.D. Salinger. Now what he represented, this character in The Catcher in the Rye, was the alienated kid. Right? Remember that one? So there's a page, and I've got to read to you, where he talks to one of his friends, and he says to him, I have a feeling that you're riding for some kind of a terrible, terrible fall, but I don't honestly know what kind. Are you listening to me? Yes. He says, you may be the kind where at the age of 30, you sit in some bar hating everybody who comes in, looking as if he might have played football in college. Then again, you may pick up just enough education to hate people who say, it's a secret between he and I. Or you may end up in some business office throwing paper clips at the nearest stenographer. I just don't know. But you, do you know what I'm driving at at all? Yeah, sure I did. I but you're wrong about blah blah. blah. So the next page in the catcher, and says, he says, this fall I think you're writing for it's a special kind of fall, a horrible kind. The man falling isn't permitted to feel or hear himself hit bottom. He just keeps falling and falling. The whole arrangement's designed for men who at some time or other in their lives were looking for something their own environment couldn't supply them with, or they thought their own environment couldn't supply them with, so they gave up looking. They gave it up before they ever really got e- even got started. You follow me? Yes, sir. Sure. He got up and poured some more booze in his glass, then he sat down again. He didn't say anything for quite a long time. He says, I don't want to scare you, he said, but I can very clearly see you dying nobly for one way or another for some highly unworthy cause. You know, so... Then the guy says, the mark of the immature man is that he wants to die nobly for a cause, while the mark of the mature man is that he wants to live humbly for one. <laughs> Are you following me how good this is? Why this book is still taught. He leaned over and they're talking. He says, I think that one of these days you're going to have to find out where you want to go, and then you got to start going there. But immediately, you can't afford to lose a minute, not you. And I hate to tell you, but I think that once... You have a fair idea where you want to go. Your first move will be to apply yourself in school. You'll have to. You're a student, whether the idea appeals to you or not. You're in love with knowledge, and I think you'll find once you get past all the Mister this and their oral comp that, blah blah blah. Should I read this to you right now? I mean, I and I'll tell you why I'm reading it to you in a minute. So he says you're by no means alone in that score. You'll be excited and stimulated to know. Many, many men have been just as troubled morally and spiritually as you are right now. Happily, some of them kept records of their troubles. You'll learn from them if you want to. Just as someday, if you have something to offer, someone will learn something from you. It's a beautiful reciprocal arrangement. And it is an education. It's history. It's poetry. He stopped and took a big drink out of his high bowl. He said, I'm not trying to tell you that only educated and scholarly men are able to contribute something valuable to the world. It's not so. But I do say that educated and scholarly men, if they're brilliant and creative to begin with, which unfortunately is rarely the case, tend to leave infinitely more valuable records behind them than men do who are merely brilliant and creative. They tend to express themselves more clearly, and they usually have a passion for following their thoughts through to the end. And most important, nine times out of ten they have more humility than the unscholarly thinker. Do you follow me at all? I... These are underlines from when I read the book when I was young. Now, the reason I'm reading from my edition of Salinger's Catcher in the Riot's it's falling apart already, a paperback version, is because <clears throat> men of my generation were formed by certain ideas and by certain books. This was an important book that uh, was a big part of my, of my growing up. Now, you compare it to today. I mean, what are they teaching anybody? They don't even know the difference between... Well, what's the difference? Why I made my point, that's all. Let's begin in Houston, Texas. Mike, which book was transformational in your life?
4: Mike, well, I'm 30 years old, but I think that The Catcher was so... I, it was genius, and it made me believe that, you know, I'm not the only person who has thoughts like Holden had. And, you know, I'm, well, well, I'm not...
2: Hold, hold, what do you mean thoughts? You mean what kind of thoughts, like Holden Caulfield, but what kind of thoughts? You mean the existential who am I, what am I, why am I living?
4: Absolutely. And uh, I read the book when I was, you know, 22 years old, and I read it in three days. And I was like, this is the greatest book I've ever read in my life, and I never had to read it in high school. And I graduate college, and I read the book, and I'm like, man, it's the best freaking book I've ever read.
2: And I so, that But, that- you know, the book is still taught in school, and it's a book about the the uh, angst of an a-, a late adolescent, you know, the sufferings of young Bertha by... By Goethe, really, was the 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 primary uh, inspiration in some in some way for uh, the, the the Holden Caulfield character, a catcher in the rye. I mean, certainly, it was original in in one sense, but not original in the sense of the angst of the eighteen year old boy, right?
4: Absolutely. And you know, people when you're that age, and even when you're you know my generation, you're in your early twenties, people still consider you that age. <laughs> and and when you when you read the book, people never have. Had those kind of feelings
2: before, you know, and that they can. So, in other wait a minute. So, so Mallarmé, the French poet, wrote that the purpose of the artist is to make people. Um, how did he put it? I used to know it in French. Oh, um, to make more clear the words of the tribe. I forget the French translation, but he wrote that the 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 work of the artist is to make much more clear the words of the of the person. In other words, we can't articulate. The average person is not able to articulate what they feel or even what they see. But the artist's job is to help the person articulate what they see or feel. Isn't that what you're saying, is that that, that piece of literature is what did it for you, The Catcher in the Rye?
4: Absolutely. Because J.D. Sounder like, spoke to your average adolescent who had these thoughts, Why I'm a Hero, and, and the ending of the book was like, you finally get it at the very end. So, I, I don't, I don't All right, know.
2: so now I'm going to make a leap in faith, Mike, and I'm going to make it somewhat narcissistic and egotistical. Isn't the reason that you listen to this show is because I help you... F- help you articulate what you see going on but don't quite know how to express?
4: Yeah, of course. I mean, without a doubt. I'm a 30-year-old, I'm a young, very conservative guy. Uh, like, you know, I don't, I don't see myself as Republican,
2: but I'm a very conservative Exactly, guy. but you see yourself as an American who loves the country and sees it going down the tubes and sees a mess being made by the two interlopers in the White House and you don't know what to say about it without, without fear that you're going to be attacked as a racist. But I give you the ability to do it, don't I? Absolutely. Yay! Let's hear it for Michael Savage, Mala May. Here's a comedic piece very heavily requested. It's called Answering Calls as Bernie Sanders. Here's the Savage Nation. Let's go to the calls immediately. Time is short. Line six. Go ahead, please. What's on your mind, sir?
5: I have a question for Bernie Sanders. I need to know what is the difference between a Democrat... Socialist and a progressive liberal. And for Christ's sake, why did you go soft on the Second Amendment? Why did you let Hillary Clinton make you go soft? You used to be a supporter of the Second Amendment. I don't understand.
2: Well, I'll answer your first question first because the second one is a little antagonistic, frankly. The first question is what's the difference between a progressive and a socialist, I think? It's very simple. Very, very simple. Socialist believes in taking what is rightfully the possession of those who worked for it and taking it and giving it to the bums in society, the losers and the stupid. That simply is what socialism is. A progressive, on the other hand, not only wants to take income from those who worked for it and give it to the losers and the dummies, but they want to shoot them as well. Now, what was the second question? (laughs) Why, why did you go
5: soft on the Second Amendment? You let Hillary Clinton make you switch your stance. You a- I, I
2: Sorry, personally, I personally find that very offensive. I did not go soft on anything. That implies I am impotent. I will tell you right now, I do not use Viagra. I do not use any sexual enhancement pill whatsoever. I have not had sex in the last 150 years, number two. But that is aside from the fact. The fact is I did not go soft on the Second Amendment. I come from a rural state of Vermont where many, many people hunt. Many people have hunting rifles. I myself don't. I have never shot a BB gun. In fact, when I hear a hunting rifle go off, I have to call my psychiatrist or 911. But that is my personal belief, my personal fears, because I am from Brooklyn. And the gun to me was always a dangerous thing to the people that elected me, the morons in Vermont who fell for the shtick that I give. Okay, I got to throw them a bone. So I talk about guns as though they matter. I hate them all. I think they should take them and throw them in the in the, in the the ocean. But I can't say it. they throw me out of the Senate. Any other questions? Thank you for the call. Uh, not bad. Come on. WABC Rich, go ahead, please. What's uh, your comment?
6: Okay, Bernie. Last night during the debate, you said that you were for
4: recreational marijuana. Now, I make more than $20,000 a year.
6: How am I supposed to pay for that when 99.99.99% of my money is going to taxes?
2: Oh, oh, you mean, okay, I got to answer as Bernie now. Well, look, under my new tax plan, marijuana will be provided for free by the government. It will be government farms growing the marijuana so people can enjoy the medicine of the marijuana. We'll be giving it out in lozenges and candies of different kinds down to the age of nine. Any any other Under nine, I think, is a little too dangerous at this time because 99% of the scientists agree that marijuana is safe for everyone up above the age of nine. Uh, The scientists we have found at NYU who are stoned out of their gourd most of the time have all determined that anyone from nine up can have sex with anybody and they can smoke marijuana with impunity because it's good for them. It is like a medication and therefore very much required by a sane and humane government, which we're going to give out. So you ask a question for which I've given an answer in the sense that you don't have to worry about paying. We're going to take care of it. We're going to grow it in Indiana and give it away for nothing.
6: Oh, my gosh, Dr. Savage, you're amazing. You just proved another point why why these people that's running for office office shouldn't even be there. I, I, I don't <laughs> You
2: know, I'll tell you, what's funny about Bernie and my attempts at imitating him, and they were better in the first hour, I get a little tired by hour three. My Bernie is better in hour one than hour two, and better than the, the three. But Stephen on KSFO, welcome to the program.
5: Hey, how you doing, Bernie? I got a question. Um, I was eating one of your tuna sandwiches that you made me, and I was thinking of how smart you are, and I was thinking. Isn't it the white man who caused global warming since he invented all the combustion engines that we're seeing today, causing all this global warming?
2: Absolutely, That's- it started with it started absolutely with, with the, the volta, developed the volt. He invented the volt. Then uh, diesel, you got the diesel engine invented by a, by a white man. Every invention, virtually every invention of civilization is uh, pollute that pollutes was invented by, by the by the white man. And there's only one solution to the problem. And that is not so much to harm the inventor because he's been dead 200 years. No, we have to take it out of his ancestors, his descendants rather. You must find and seek out the, the, the inventor of electricity, the telephone, the telegraph, and hunt them down and make them pay back for what their ancestors did to the atmosphere and the environment. That, then you'll have global uh, retribution, global balance. That's the only solution.
5: Beautiful, you're oh, so
2: smart, but yeah, I really like of all of the Bernie stuff I've did over this week. The best one was the, the deli man, where uh, Bernie talks about tongue and pickles. That was my best one because that's closer to where his mentality is at. W B O B line seven. Welcome to the Savage Nation. Yeah,
6: Bernie, I'd
2: like to ask you a question about national defense. It, okay, what's the question? What's 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 the question?
4: Well, the question is, if it came down to that uh, the only way to protect the United States was a uh, uh, nuclear strike in one of the Middle Eastern countries, would you be able to push the button, Bernie?
2: Absolutely not. I'm totally opposed to nuclear weapons. I want a nuclear-free world. Uh, A nuclear weapon can ruin your entire day. I've been against nuclear weapons since the 1960s when I was an anti-war activist. I was never against the brave troops, but I was against the war. I am totally against bombs of any kind, whether they be stink bombs or atomic bombs. Now, that raises the question of how I would fight ISIS. We admit ISIS is filled with people who uh, lack economic opportunity because a global warming, a desert, was created a very long time ago. Remember that. Go back in time and you will see that that was once a forested area in the Middle East. This is a direct example of why global warming must be stopped right now. Because if it wasn't for global warming and the trees dying, there would be trees and orchards in the Middle East rather than sand. And as a result of the global warming, from going back to the Pleistocene, you have a lot of violent Arabs who are miserable and unhappy from the heat and the lack of air conditioning. And to answer your question simply, no, I would not nuke them. I would offer them jobs. I would do a job creation program in the Middle East. I know an awful lot about jobs, although I've never held one. I know a lot about it. That's your answer. Thank you. 855 282 line number 2, David, on WJR in Detroit. Go ahead, please.
5: Yeah, a question for Bernie Sanders. I was wondering, the Obama administration, under that administration, the uh, relationship between law enforcement and the general public has been stressed and
4: strained, to say the least. What would you do to heal that relationship?
2: Well, there's no question in my mind that the police have overreacted their entire life, in this country the first thing i would do is make all police in america give up their weapons and understand what it's like to be an unarmed civilian walking in these dangerous neighborhoods that's first of all let them walk in the shoes of the others there is an indian statement that i know from vermont do not criticize a man until you have walked in his own moccasins. So I would definitely say that the police should give up their weapons, number one. And number two, they must apologize to all the people who have been incarcerated in this nation, in this great nation, for crimes they may or may not have committed. But the fact is, there was an adage I learned in the gutters of New York that is still 100% true. It is known very well in the socialist circles in which I ran. I would rather 99 guilty people go free than one innocent man be uh, found guilty. And I stand by that. And that stands also for ISIS. I'd rather ninety-nine bombers mutilate and kill and cut people's heads off then take one innocent arab and put him into jail that's that's what i stand for that's why i understand things that you could never understand and that's why i will be the next president of the disunited states of america thank you thank you very much thank you very much that was not. That was not bad. I would redo it slightly, but it wasn't bad. It was pretty good. But the shrimp is starting to affect my brain. John on KSFO, welcome to the program. What's uh, your question or comment?
6: Yeah, I just wanted to ask Mr.
5: Sanders how he can justify being a Caucasian person that I'm um, saying that only Black lives matter.
2: Well, because, in fact, the truth is, if you read Animal Farm, you find out that uh, in Animal Farm, some animals are more equal than others. And the fact of the matter is, in order to get the vote that I need, I have to appeal to people who are racist, who scream things like this, or else they won't vote. We all know the Democrats are dying in America across the country. And the only way to get them to vote is to appeal to the worst of them. That's all. Yeah, see, I can't do Bernie today. It's shifting between, it was, I did great burnies yesterday, the day before, because I was depressed, low blood sugar, had a migraine, and it worked. Today, I feel too good. I may not even be able to do radio anymore, I feel too good. It must be, I don't know what it is. I just, when I wake up and I get up for a sunrise, I mean, I'm feeling so good that I may have to see a doctor. Something is, wrong. <laughs> I, I do, I do feel great. It's, the, it's, the, it's that, uh, whatever, that comedian thing. Rhett on WVNN Radio. Go ahead, please. You have a question for Bernie Sanders? Uh,
4: yes. Um, first thing, I want to congratulate you on your book. And, uh, I, this is a three part question for Bernie Sanders. First part
2: is, I heard well, that. Well, say- l- let me, let me, let me interrupt you right now. Three part questions are set up questions I learned a long time ago in my street days. Please simula- simplify and make it one question.
4: Okay. Um, I heard you made $2 million off donations after the uh, debate. I'm wondering if you, since you're a Democratic socialist, if you plan on sharing that money with the other
2: candidates, or even if you plan on sharing. Well, no, I can money- cut you off right now. The typical right wing lie I did not make a dime off donations. It goes to my fund. My fundraising is all small grassroots efforts. We're creating a prairie fire in this country. That is absurd. Not my wife or I ate one pickle from the money we raised. <laughs>
4: And I was wondering, also, if you plan on giving any of that money to uh, Jim Webb, knowing that you're a uh, draft dodger, but, of course, you support the uh, military, apparently.
2: Well, typical right-wing question. Of course not. I'm not going to give Jim Webb uh, nothing. The man has plenty of money on his own. What does he need me for? I intend not to give away a dime because I'm going to spend every nickel of the money I raise from the good American people in order to make sure this income inequality disappears in this country. Not by giving it away, but by talking about it, by traveling, by flying, by eating big dinners wherever I go. This is how I'm going to solve income inequality. Thank you very much for your right-wing question. What's part two?
4: Oh, no, part two was just uh, one thing. You, you
2: answered all my questions. Thank you, Bernie. Very nice. Very good. See, no one likes it today. I I don't have his voice down today. I'm off. I don't know. I feel too good. That's the problem. I, I don't know what it is. I woke up feeling good, so I can't imitate Bernie Sanders. I can only do Bernie Sanders when I don't feel good. And let's say I'm low blood sugar, I anguish, slight headache. I can do him perfectly. Because I think that channels who he actually is, a sick A sick man who walks around in pain and anger and hatred. Home of Borders. Language. Culture. The Savage Nation. Here is the definition of red diaper doper babies from 2007. A red diaper doper baby derives from a well-worn phrase called a red diaper baby. A red diaper baby was a child raised by communist parents, predominantly in New York City, primarily in Brooklyn, uh, parents who were steeped in communism raised their children with communist philosophy, hated America through and through, and even went so far as to take their little red brats and send them to communist youth camps in the Pocono Mountains. This is all real, it's established, it was done in the 50s and 60s. They were known as red diaper babies. They were raised on the Ethel and Julian Rosenberg fantasy that they were innocent to pick, uh, victims of American uh, plutocracy when in fact they were atomic spies who deserved to be executed so those are red diaper babies now i try to understand how this toxic mix of red diaper babies who have grown up most of them went to either columbia law or nyu law now of course they've disseminated to many other institutions of lower loan learning how these red diaper babies have become so virulent in their viral hatred of america and i added it up and i figured out it's the red diaper baby part and you add to that the dope the marijuana red diaper doper baby rddb marijuana has poisoned their mind to the extent that their brain is so warped that they would rather hate a conservative like me they'd rather hate george bush than amanajad who said he will kill them that's a red diaper doper baby marijuana wreaks havoc on brains memory cells this is directed only at the Red Diaper dopa Babies, it came out last week, but many of you were so high you probably didn't hear it when I read it to you, it came out in the journal Nature Neuroscience. Smoking marijuana often causes temporary problems with memory and learning. Now let me interject, that's why they call it Dope Dope, because it makes you stupider than you already are. It says, now researchers think they know why. The active ingredient in the drug THC disrupts the way nerves fire in the brain's memory center, a new study shows. Now, i don't want to read you the whole article but the fact of the matter is i've known this for years and i also know that red diaper doper babies rule this country they run the media for sure uh all you've got to do is look at them or read their blogs and you'll understand that they're all uh, impaired mentally impaired which is why i wrote my uh uh a third bestseller in the in the series called liberalism is a mental disorder and it is true that liberalism is a mental disorder the problem is the mentally disordered liberals are now running America. They've just won the elections, and to show you how mentally disordered they are, they want to take an impeached judge. By the way, he was impeached by the most liberal member of Congress, uh, none other than John Conyers, a man who uh, never misses an opportunity to attack Republicans. John Conyers impeached Alcee Hastings, and now Nancy Lugosi, not a relative to Bella, wants to appoint Al C. Hastings to be the, the chairman of the Intelligence Committee. If this is not an example of insanity, I'd like to know what is. I don't care whether you're a liberal or a conservative, a Democrat or a Republican. You have to understand that the West must have a death wish to have elected somebody like Nancy Pelosi. Several people asked me to play Mama Savage on longevity. Very touching, very touching. Her answer might surprise you. Mother Savage, I was talking with my audience about fond memories and, and things that influenced me, and I remember the day you took me and Alan to Radio City Music Hall. To the, do you remember hear how radio was done behind the scenes? Oh sure. Do you remember when they rattled the, the big yeah, piece? The
7: NBC tour.
2: The NBC tour. Right. And they show you with the horses' hooves to make it sound like a horse on a. Right, on a, right, right. And then we, uh, they rattled a piece of metal yeah. to make it sound like thunder. Right. And then where did you take us to eat? Do you remember where you would take Alan and I to eat? Oh, we went to eat the automat. No, well, the automat was one place. How about when you took us to the Floridian?
7: Oh my God, that's right.
2: Remember they whipped Floridian,
7: the Floridian, the Californian.
2: Now you see, you're in Florida and I'm in California. There was something there, but they whipped the eggs up. What I liked about it is you made eggs. I mean, I don't want to put you down, right? But they were bo- they were just eggs. They were flat like everyone else's eggs. But when you went into this place, they had a way to make the egg go up like I in a, in a put- pyramid.
7: They put something in the eggs to, to make it puffy.
2: Yeah, I would have been a foot taller if I didn't eat those eggs, probably what they put in there.
7: They were delicious. You can't get that kind
2: of food again. No. Ma, let me ask you this. What was the name of the Italian chain in New York that was Romeo's 50-Cent Spaghetti that we'd go to, 50 cents a plate? What was it? Was it Romeo's? I remember now, Romeo's. Remember, it was pretty inexpensive, and it was a chain, and we would go in every once in a while, and it was always... A a plate. But was it Romeo's Spaghetti? It may have been that. What did you eat in there? Spaghetti. I still love it. How do you... You're 83, right? Right. But you're not on a low-fat diet. You never have been. I'm not what? You're not on a low-fat diet. I mean, you still, uh, I should be, you should be, but, but the truth is, the truth is, you and I, once I got my PhD in nutrition, I'd come to your house, and you'd always cook the same fatty foods, and I would say, how could you do that, and you always ate it, but God bless you, what else are you like on a Saturday, what do you eat when you go out?
7: French fried
2: potatoes. <laughs> You're 83 years old. You, you eat French fried potatoes, and what else do you have with it? What other light light, light bite?
7: Frankfurter.
2: <laughs> Sau- sauerkraut. Oh, I love you. But let me ask you, truthfully, you don't smoke or drink, right? No. In your life, did you smoke? No. Yeah, I saw once you did when you were 30. You took a cigarette. Just to show off. Just to show off. But so, in other words, you think I that never it's inhaled. So, in other words, what you you didn't inhale, like Bill Clinton? Is that what you just said? You didn't inhale. What? are you were you and Bill Clinton? No, I
7: didn't inhale. You
2: didn't inhale, and the president said that. Look what it did for him.
7: No, I've, I never had any
2: vices. You never had any vices, but Ma, what do you think?
7: All I did was eat food.
2: <laughs> so you can eat anything, but what do you think is the secret to longevity? What
7: What's the secret?
2: Yeah. Because you're an elder, you're eighty-three.
7: Yeah, my case, what it is, I think. What? No sex.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no sex. Well, that that in San Francisco is a sin. What you just said, because these people believe that the more is be- more sex you have is better. Well, especially the gays, ma out here, you know, they go to. Huh? They're not
7: 83.
2: No, you can't argue with that. So you Please think... Not
7: at all. So
2: in other words, if I have no sex for the rest of my life, I could eat french fries and hot dogs and I'll be okay. I, I hope so. It's not a bad trade-off, I'll tell you the truth. With the problems that sex brings in a person's life, I think I'd rather have french fries and Frankfurters
1: to be frank with you. Michael Savage, a host like no other.
2: Next up is from a show I did in 2019 about the meanest mothers you knew. And the stories we heard made this an instant classic. Let me know what you think.
6: No wire hangers! What's
5: wire hangers doing in this closet when I told you no wire hangers ever?
2: (laughs) i tell you what I'm doing today, having fun. Welcome to the Savage Nation. I'm thinking about mothers, what kind of mother Adam Schiff must have had compared to the kind of mother Donald Trump must have had. I mean, Donald Trump must have had a very dignified, I would say, uh, very dignified, intelligent mother, a tiger mother. Okay, this is what we expect of you and making sure that the children did what she wanted without getting hysterical. On the other hand, I'm thinking about Schiff's mother. I can't imagine what this woman must have been like to have produced a monster like him. The mother, apparently, of Schiff wanted him to go to medical school. Now, thank God he didn't go to medical school. Instead, became a prosecutor because he's the type, if he had gone to medical school, would have removed organs of patients uh, during a surgical procedure and sold the organs on the side. That's So thank God he became a prosecutor. But think about this. What kind of person wants to be a prosecutor but a son of a, a A son of a, I can't say it on the air. So now we have Adam Schiff, and I'm thinking what kind of mother he had. And then I'm thinking about the meanest mother I ever met. I was just on my bicycle. And I'm going to ask you what type of mother you had, and who was the meanest mother you ever met. Let me give you the five kinds of mothers according to psychology today. Perfectionist mother, unpredictable mother. I know you're listening. Even though you want to turn it off, you can't wait to hear the next one. The best friend mother, the me first mother, and the complete mother what was your mother like? Did you have a mean mother? Well, let me tell you about a friend of mine who had a mean mother. I saw a dog as I was riding my bicycle just about 30 minutes ago that reminded me of my friend's dog. Little dog with a, I don't know, a kind of whiskery face. I don't know the type it was, some kind of schnauzer. And I remember my friend crying. He was a strong kid, not given to emotions, a lot of fun. But his mother beat his dog because his mother was a Benzedrine addict. You see in the 50s you think it was life with father and everybody was perfect, don't you? You get the image oh America was all white in the 50s and all right in the 50s and all bright in the 50s, jingle bells and all that but behind the scenes a lot of these mothers were whacked out on Benzedrine because you see in the 50s there was a fad of weight loss just as there is now but instead of using diets they used drugs. So this woman, bleached blonde, new Cadillac every year, the father slaved a to to keep her in a new Cadillac, uh, would go to a doctor in New Jersey. And this doctor in New Jersey apparently shot her up with Benzedrine to keep her uh, appetite down. It didn't shut her mouth, but the appetite went down, the mouth went up. She'd go out of her mind. You know, Hitler was on on, uh, Benzedrine as well. Did you know that? A lot of the mistakes Hitler made was when he was on drugs. When he overrode his generals, they said, don't invade the Soviet Union. He was whacked out of his mind on, on amphetamines. Anyway, these housewives, like my friend's mother, were on Benzedrine. So she go to Jersey and come back whacked out of her gourd. And what she did to him was unbelievable. Not only did she hurt the dog, but she took a dog chain, you know, a leash with a chain on it, and beat herself over the arm with it. So when the father came home from a day at work, she ran in the kitchen and said... Jack, 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 look what Billy did to me. Look what Billy did to me to set the father against the son. I swear to God, the father had to side with the mother. He ran upstairs and got into a fist fight with my friend. He was about 15 at the time. And they went at each other. It was biblical. It actually made me, my, tore my heart out because I love the father and I love the son. I mean, I knew them since I was a kid. It hurt me to watch this. But they were punching each other, I mean, really hard. And then after it was over and the father left the bedroom because of the false story that he had beaten his mother with a dog chain, which he didn't do. She did it to herself. She was crazy from the Benzadrine. My friend picked up a piggy bank that he had since he was a little kid. I've known him. I had known him since he was eight. And he smashed it on the floor and all the coins flew out across the bedroom floor. To me, that was the end of his childhood. It was the end of innocence. It was the end of a whole phase of my life as well. Well, he left the house shortly thereafter. and I remember he moved into my house. Believe it or not, my beautiful, kind mother let him come and live in our house for a while. I don't remember the rest of the story. I know what happened to him afterwards a little bit, but I don't want to divulge it because it's too personal. But I'm trying to get to a bigger point, which is he was a product of a crazy mother, and the mother was crazy because of the drugs the doctor put her on. So I'm going to ask you, the Savage Nation, we're going to talk about other things today, which is how mothers shape people. Who was the meanest mother, that you ever met, but I would say that mothers shape boys today more so than fathers do. I would say it's more true today than ever that boys in America are shaped by their mothers. Uh, women raise the children. The fathers are sort of away from home. Generally, they're working, and I don't think things have changed that much. I still think that today, even today, mothers raise the sons, and the sons are products more of their mothers than are of their fathers. I think it's still true today. And going back again to my childhood in the 50s, and I will say that that was the meanest mother I ever met in my life, the one who beat herself with a dog chain and then ran to the, to the father when he came home and said, look what he did to me, look what he did to me. And she had like a bloody arm, I swear to God. You know, this is the woman who drove around in that pink Cadillac thinking she was Marilyn Monroe. She really looked like Marilyn Manson in drag. But nevertheless, she thought she was Marilyn Monroe. And she ruined her son, she made him crazy. His life after that was up and down like all of our lives are, but his was particularly up and down. A little stint in a madhouse, you know, stuff like that. But I don't want to make, you know, this story about him, I want to make it about you. Who's the meanest mother that you ever heard of? Poor mothers, poor mothers. My mother was not formally educated, okay? Neither of my parents went to college. I'm not complaining about it, I'm not boasting about it just the way it was. Both were immigrants from different places. And uh, I, I, um, they had old world wisdom, let's put it that way. But they were stuck in their primitivism in other ways. And when I went to college and I took Psych 101, which was a revelation for me, I'll tell you about that sometime, about the feminist professor I had. And you're talking about a long time ago. We didn't even know what a feminist was. They weren't just the uh, librarians and the gym teachers. This was a psych teacher. And we we're sitting in the class, you know, bored. No one pays attention. All I was looking at was the girl's ponytail in front of me. I really didn't care what she was saying. Just wanted to get through the class. She, blah, blah, blah. Freud, Jung, Adler, who knew what she was talking about? Made no sense to me. I would go home and tell my mother, she said, well, what are you learning in school? And I'd say, psychology, she, and she got scared because she was always afraid of that field somehow, like old world people. Psychology, she would say, with suspicion, yes. Where do you see? They'll blame the mother for everything. That's all she said. Whatever's wrong with a person, they'll blame the mother. And she was right. They do blame the mother. And I blame Adam Schiff's mother for what this country is going through. By the way, no one could tie things together the way I'm doing. Jim knows that. This is called master class. This is an advanced graduate school course in in talk radio, what you're getting now. To tie all these elements together and keep it going and you're interested in it is an example of why I'm still on the radio and why I'm in the National Radio Hall of Fame. I actually earned it as opposed to a company buying it for me. I was voted in, all the others were uh, bought in, by the way. But we won't go into that. This is a master class in talk radio, and the worst mother in history was who? Your mother? I wanna know who, who the, you know. I told you about the one I had with the Benzedrine, with the beating. What a sad story that was. Anyway, let's go to the callers. Uh, I got crazy callers on this right now. I won't say they're crazy, the callers are amazing. But I, I wanna back up for a minute, make it a little political. Did you have a perfectionist mother, over-controlling, fearful, anxious, and the children wind up hypercritical, the children wind up feeling inadequate, emotionally empty? Well, if you're a child of a perfectionist mother, you're not alone. How about an unpredictable mother? Did you have one of those? Anxious, angry, excessively emotional, overwhelmed by feelings? so her parenting style is based purely on mood? ho, ho, ho. And you wind up, if you had a mother like that, an unpredictable mother, with excellent people skills, the ability to be empathetic. I wonder why. Often you're a great motivator, and you offer emotional support to colleagues as well as friends and family. And uh, you grow up with an ingrained need to take care of people and their emotional issues. You can be overwhelmed by emotions such as anger, anxiety, and depression. You learn early on how to read people and situations in order to manage the strong feelings of others. That's an unpredictable mother. Hello? Hello? Then you got the best friend mother, what you become, the the me first mother, and the complete mother. Who's the worst mother you ever met? I did this this type of show 15 years ago. I got callers that scared me. I had no idea what mothers could do to people. I got people calling. The worst one I remember was an Italian guy called from New York, he sounded like a rough customer. And he said his mother beat him every day with a coat, not a coat hanger, a telephone wire. I don't know how, but she took a telephone wire and beat him with it every day. This is the kind of home that he grew up in. So don't think that everything was so beautiful in the 50s. Everyone says, oh, America was better in the 50s. Where was it better? Where was it better? You think people didn't suffer through life in the 50s? What do you mean it was better? How was it better? Or in some ways it was safer. In some ways it was the same. In some ways it was different. I'm saying that here behind the scenes of this white family in the white suburbs with the new Cadillac, right, there was this crazy mother who was smacked out of her mind on speed because the doctor in New Jersey was shooting her up with speed for weight loss. That's not, you know, life with mother. I guess it's like autumn is here now, and I'm thinking Thanksgiving, you know, how happy everyone is. Yeah, right. Everyone's real happy at Thanksgiving. That woman probably did a Thanksgiving dinner, and she was whacked out of her mind on Benzedrine while serving the turkey from Horn and Hardot takeout, that mother. The kid wound up a, a a nut job. We loved him because he was the funniest guy in the crowd. He would do crazy stuff. Why would he do crazy stuff? They'll blame it on the mother. My mother was right. They'll blame it on the mother. D.C. John, line four, you're up on the Savage Nation. Tell us about your mother, please.
5: Yes, I will. But first, I want to just throw this in real quick. You know, with this cathartic stuff, it's kind of difficult to go through it twice. So you have to tell the call screener
2: first, just to get to tell you. Oh, 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 oh! You, you have to tell your life story to the call screener. Now you're going to tell it to, to the world. Okay, let's hear it. Yeah, but it's kind
5: of cathartic, so it's difficult to go through two times.
2: Well, let's try our best. You've already gotten it out of your system with the call screener. What happened to you, and how did you become what you are?
5: Uh, I, I went to Catholic school. I went to Catholic schools all my life, basically, until I got to college. But anyway, my mother would whip me between the hours of four thirty when I would get home from school and 530, 6 o'clock when my father would get home from the Pentagon where he worked every day during the week.
2: And uh, what did she beat you for? What for? What reason?
5: Well, now you know that
2: was that would that oh so she would just she, she would say this is for nothing wait until you do something and i'll show you what a beating is huh
5: pretty much pretty much because i was a very <laughs> well-disciplined uh, kid as the years have borne out
2: and what so, what did you become in life as a as a professional
5: well i spent about 40 years in court every day in in in, in well i don't want to say what i was doing but uh but, but 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 let me tell you this part, please. Because uh, even though I had a career in the law, that's not my passion. Um, my mother used to beat me when my father would come in from work. She would ex- tell him about my negative attitude and about me pouting. And of course, the reason was I'd just been beaten. But uh, one day she made a mistake. She used to beat me with a leather belt. One day, And I couldn't convince my father that I would just been beaten and that that was the reason for my so-called negative attitude. I but one see. day my mother made the mistake of beating me with the buckle end of the leather belt. She picked up ah. the belt by the leather side and beat me with the buckle end. And it <laughs> hit me close to one of my eyes. And left, oh, my God. Left, didn't hit me in
2: the eye, but it oh, left that, a mark. That was con- look how kind she was.
5: Well, yeah. So when my father came in, I was finally able to convince him that she had beaten me and he could see the mark next to my eye. And so that changed the whole dynamic. And then I found myself trying to defend my mother from my father.
2: Oh, boy. In
5: fact, I didn't want some retribution, but I, but I found myself trying to defend my mom.
2: But my friend, John, let me ask you something in life. Did you get married and have kids of your own eventually?
5: Oh, yes, 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 yes. And. You
2: know, I let me ask you. But did you make up your mind when you had kids that you would never ever do to your kids what was done to you?
5: Absolutely, and it's not See? necessary.
2: Right, right, right. And I mean psychologically as well as physically. Right. Yeah,
5: it's not necessary. You can talk to children. I'm always that's
2: right. To no, children. it's true. You don't have to beat them up mentally or physically to get a child to conform to what you want them to do. <laughs> I mean, there are rare cases where the child is completely out of control, but that's a different story. By and large, children will respond to reason. I found that since my children, God bless them, were very young.
5: But let me tell you this. Let me please, if I can squeeze this in real quick. It's a double-edged sword because I'm a pilot today because hmm. of my mom. How? My father was against me taking flying lessons because he hmm. lost so many of his buddies in World War II. Hmm. He didn't want me to learn to fly unless I went into the military. Hmm. So my mother used to sneak me on the weekends when my father was working his part-time job as a barber. My mother would sneak me to the airport and wave at me as I would go up and be waiting for me with open arms when I would land
2: for my flying lessons. So wait, this is the same mother who hit you with a strap was encouraging you to fly. Correct.: Well, my way was <laughs> something that, I don't understand that. She'd beat you in the afternoons and teach you to fly on the weekends. That's quite a combination.
5: I was a few years older then, but by 16, I had my pilot's license. You
2: know what? You're telling a fascinating story, and I I hope I have not opened up an emotional can of worms here that's going to be hard to close up.
5: Well, I just wanted to tell you it's a double-edged sword because I'm very grateful to her that she helped me go against my father's wishes. And help me
2: facilitate uh, 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 Well, look, you told a fascinating story, and I want to uh, say, let me. All I can give you is a thank you, and what a story! I won't forget that call. By the way, that's one of those calls that takes a while to absorb. Am I right, Jim? That was like a yin yang mother, right? She's beating him and, and encouraging him to fly behind the father's back. Astounding! Astounding! Really astounding! So now, where's Jimmy? Is Jimmy still with us in New York? Jimmy, are you there, lad? Jimmy Malad, tell us about Jimmy's mom.
6: Savage uh, Schiff's mother, I think, is a cross between a bull weevil and a giraffe. That's number one.
2: <laughs> okay, I kind of get it.
6: Well, yeah, with the long pez dispenser neck.
2: Well, if, all right, let's stop for a minute because you're into visual descriptions of people. The more we live with Schiff's horrible persona and his, he looks deformed, by the way. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to debase people who are actually deform. Doesn't he have a sort of deformity in his head?
6: From the front, he looks like my ex-wife from the back. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Dr. Savage, your show was amazing. And absolutely, and I'm not just saying that to blow smoke.
2: Wait, 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 which show?
6: Oh, please, as a conservative, I watch you on my 65-inch screen.
2: Oh, oh, the video of it. You, were, you, was it, was it disappointing in any way? Was it a bad part in it?
6: Listen to me. People could say what they want listening to me, and I'm not blowing smoke. It was amazing to look at you.
2: I don't think the crowd understood when I opened up with the line, when I walked up like from the gladiator up in from behind, it's filmed from behind, and I come in, and the first thing I say to the audience is, well, all right, hello, uh, good evening. Uh, as, uh, I forget who I'm talking, it's not Mark Twain. Uh, As as Groucho Mark said, I would never join a club that would have me as a member. No one laughed, because it was in a private club. And then I said, look around you, you'll see why he was right. They were dumbfounded. I mean, I thought it was a funny line. Dr. Savage, you're amazing. You know, but you think, I wasn't talking to Jews and Italians from New York. They would have laughed.
6: No, when you said bring the Hebrew in, I almost fell off the couch.
2: Everybody loved that. They loved that line. Then someone said... Did you say bring the Hebrew in, or did Donald Trump say bring the Hebrew National in? <laughs>
6: it's amazingly beautiful. Your son is, is, is somebody that belongs in a magazine, a handsome, young, fine man. And please, I always, this is, uh,
2: Jimmy, please, this is a family show. Stop that.
6: No, but I remember the story you said when your son said to you one time, Hey, Dad, why don't you retire? And you said you banged the table and you ran after him. I thought that was hysterical.
2: Oh, when things were going bad for me. Yes. Yes, I was between things. It was the worst period of my whole life. Yeah, but you- and I was I was fifty years old, and I didn't want to work anymore. I was emotionally drained from the struggle. Right. And we were living in a little rental house. It was a horrible time in my life. He must have been in, in high school, and he was always a great leader for me. And I, you know, he lead, led me. And I, you know, the sons, great sons do that. They that, both follow. They-, they both follow and lead a son, a good son. And he came in when I told him I'm thinking of retiring. I don't want to, can't do this anymore. And he said, "You're too young to retire." Remember, I chased him around the street.
6: (laughs) You said you ran after him.
2: I said, "How dare you say that to me? I'm your father." That's right. No, no, it's a hell of a story. I got to remind him of that. That's astounding. So, what was your what was your mother like?
6: My mother, God bless, is still alive, thank you very much. She's 82 years old, and as we say in Italian, senza mamma, senza moda, senza mamma, senza niente. Without a mother, there's no love. Without a mother, there's nothing. True, I love and miss my father, but my mother, till today, I'm 57. She goes, if you don't get over here, I'll give you a wallop right across the mouth. But as a kid, there was the three of us, we were all born a year apart. Josephine and Tony were older. And my mother would say... Jimmy, Dominic, Frankie, you know, nice Jewish names. Get in this house now. But the sun's still out, Ma. I don't care if the sun's going to stay up all night. Get in, get, walking, <laughs> get in bed. you got school tomorrow. Oh, Ma, I'm going to go live with my friend because I want to stay with them. Their mother lets them stay out later.
2: Oh, I, I had the same thing. My mother would tell me to come in from playing out in the street in the Bronx when I was a kid, and it would be sunny out or light out. I wanted to be running around crazy in the streets. She'd make me go to bed some days just to suppress my energy. And I would say, I would say I don't want to sleep yet. It's light out. She'd pull the shades down and say, no, it isn't. Look, there's no light out there. It's dark.
6: My mother would say, get in this bed. And if you want to go stay with your friends, go live with them. No, no, wait, Ma, are coming in. And my father, rest in peace, would take the old coffee pot. And we, the three boys, because we're all a year apart, get in the tub. And my father used to wash us with suds. That's right. Tide, a cup of tide, and hot water wash up. <laughs> they <laughs> they
2: washed you with Tide. They wouldn't even buy you a bar of soap.
6: Who cares? We had the soap, but we had to use that if we had company from Long Island.
2: Tide? They would wash you in Tide. That's like child abuse.
6: Never. You kidding? Until today, the the, the, the stains still come out of our clothes. No, really. What? But she she washed you in a bathtub using Tide detergent. No, my father did. It was on sale, and we
2: got a cup with the son. Oh, I see. You were poor Italians. You had to use the cheap stuff.
6: Yes, and we sometimes... Yes, but you remember it
2: all with love today. All you remember is the loving part.
6: Soap.
2: You love the loving part, the loving part.
6: I adore my mother till today. I kiss her feet. She's
2: She's my best friend. Okay, last question of the day. My theory is that Adam Schiff's mother was a monster to have produced a son like him. What do you think?
6: I think I think Adam Schiff was made in a laboratory.
2: <laughs> but the head, there's something distorted about the, the way the head is formed. Yeah. Now, I don't know whether that means he was a breech baby or, or something else, but the head doesn't look right. It's like an egg, but there's a part of the egg that isn't even formed in an oval. What is that? What kind of disease is that? Wait. What, what, what kind of mind is inside that head? That's what I want to ah. know.